Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets, and other topics of interest for institutional investors. Each podcast, I'm joined by QIC's Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Alison. And my God, it's a, a fresh and beautiful morning here uh, in Brisbane. Unlike most other parts of the world, I noticed that the UN announced that July is the hottest record temperature globally on record. Well, there's some uh, real, wet, ch- yeah. I mean, gosh, those bushfires you're seeing are a real challenge. But that's right. also challenging, a lot of the economic data that we've seen this week, and it has been a big week. We've had Australian CPI, we've had the Fed and the ECB meet on cash rates, and the Bank of Japan, I think, meets later today. And also it's US earnings um, season uh, for equities over there. And so all important things. So I might give you a bit of a quiz if I can and, and ask you about the Australian hmm. CPI, which came in a little bit lower than expected. And I imagine Dr. Lowe and the RBA would perhaps be breathing a sigh of relief, given the headline rate is now down to 6%. Not quite at the 2 to 3% band that he's hoping for, but obviously that was always going to take some time. But does that mean you think that perhaps now there might be a further pause in August, given better inflation data, even though there was strong labour and employment data? Well, on the CPI front, before I get to directly answering your question about what Dr. Lowe and the RBA is going to do on Tuesday... It certainly was a surprise on the downside for the market and the RBA and for us indeed. And it has made us and the market stop and take stock of what the RBA's move next Tuesday will be. Now, countering that weaker CPI rate, as you mentioned, is the strength in the labour market with the unemployment rate we saw dipping back down to 3.5% and wage claims in the pipeline also threatening somewhat of a wage outbreak or at least wages exceeding RBA in our forecast. We had penciled in a resumption of the RBA hiking following July's pause, but looking into the CPI data, you can see that despite the headline numbers, both in terms of the headline number and in terms of the overall uh, underlying inflation rate coming down, the service sector inflation is continuing to rise. And that's reflecting, obviously, the strength and demand for for these services. And of course, these service-producing industries themselves are labour-intensive, and that hints towards a continuation of strength in the labour market. So the RBA's got this really tricky balancing act where you are seeing uh, sectors of the economy still with high inflation, indicative of there still being strength in demand for those sectors, which happen to be labour intensive. You've got a feedback loop into the labour market and hence into wage pressure. So all things considered, what do we think the RBA will do? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. There's one last piece of information that we need, and that's what's happening to the consumer. And we get that today, Alison, 11.30 on retail sales. Oh, you're going to sit on the fence. I'm going to sit on the fence for the moment. If those retail sales numbers come out somewhere in the positive territory on a quarter-on-quarter basis, I think we'll keep we'll stick with our rate hike move. If we see it at flat or dipping below zero, I think we'll stick on pause. All right. So, well, so we'll stay watch tuned. Retail. Watch this space. <laughs> we will watch that retail data. You're listening to Alison Hill and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where I'm discussing markets and economics with Dr. Matthew Peter. Matthew, talking about inflation, um, and perhaps it is our baby boomers heading overseas to keep up core inflation over, <laughs> over there as well as uh, with services and not just a demand domestically for services. But, you know, we are seeing it start to moderate in the US, which is very important. And even in some parts of Europe, although Europe is a bit of a mixed bag, you know, Spain, for example, has had some incredible 
incredibly good results, but Germany is showing some really weak outcomes. But despite all of this sort of variation in data and the fact that the you know we are looking more and more likely like a, a, a soft landing, the Fed and the ECB both increased their official rates by a quarter of a percent this week. So it begs the question, with a firm call this time, Matthew, is this the top? Close, but no cigar yet. So not quite there. You've got at least one more 25 basis point rate hike for both of those central banks at their next meetings. Now, the Fed doesn't meet for another eight weeks. Now, over that time, they'll receive two labour market reports and two CPI outturns for the months of July and August. Now, for the Fed to remain on hold, what we'd need to see is the labour market soften. By that, I mean you'd need to see at least sub 200,000 monthly employment outcomes with a movement of the unemployment rate back uh, up to at least 4% from its current rate of 3.6%. You'd also want to see inflation to dip to around 3%. If those conditions hold, we believe the uh, the Fed, that'd be enough to keep the Fed on hold. If you see those conditions not hold, the Fed will go another 25 basis points. But at that point, given the weakening in the uh, US economy that is likely to come over the second half of the year, we'll see uh, a pause with another 25 basis point uh, rate hike in the Fed. For the ECB, uh, they've got a trickier um, problem with inflation. They're going to at least do another 25 basis point. And you and you sort of, it's very interesting what you point out about Europe. You know, you've got a very heterogeneous outturn at the moment within the uh, euro areas economies, you know, with some economies like uh, Germany really suffering as the global manufacturing sector starts to turn down and other economies like Spain doing well. And also you've got a lot of uh, volatility in the actual data. So in the last read of the European GDP data, their Bureau of Statistics was flagging that the economy was already in a recession. Now that's been revised away. So perhaps the state of the European economy, notwithstanding the weakness in Germany, has been a little much better than what we'd been anticipating. But nonetheless, the economy is you know, without doubt slowing, as is, as will the US in the second half of the year. Um, and that will keep those two central banks close to their to their peak. As I said, okay. we're thinking about within 25 basis points. All right. So we've heard the call here. I like it. Thank you. Now, Alison, another piece of data that you alluded to and another key piece of data in, in the Outlook puzzle Uh, And that's U.S. corporate earnings. And as you pointed out in your intro, we're well into the U.S. corporate earnings reporting season. Now, the earnings data are particularly important. You know, when you look at the the pair that U.S. equities have been on since their low point at the start Mm. of October last year, you know, over most of this year. And part of the reason, I suppose, why the U.S. consumer, too, has held up um, so well is that that strength in uh, earnings and the increase in wealth that's been generating in uh, for U.S. households. So how has that earnings season been unfolding, Alison? Look, pretty well. There were some, ex- you know, earnings expectations and analysts' predictions had sort of moderated throughout the year with some of the, you know, the slowness in the market and so on. But overall, it's doing pretty well. So to date, of the S&P, around 25% of companies have reported and of those, and that includes a number of the the big ones. And of those, seventy percent have beaten earnings expectations. So pretty healthy, really, um, and around about an average level. Interestingly, you referred to the consumer discretionary space, and I think we might have a bit of a virtuous circle there because, again, my prior would have been that this that sector might be a bit more challenged. But looking at year on year earnings, close to a thirty percent level of growth in earnings from that sector from those companies that are reported. So. 
you know, doing really well. Yeah, that that consumer discretion, as you point out, that's an interesting sort of dynamic, isn't it, in the economy? Mm -hmm. I mean, the US household sector is actually quite sensitive in its spending patterns to the wealth effect, you know, generated by higher equities. Uh, In Australia, it's more driven by higher, um, that wealth effect's more driven by higher house prices. So an interesting sort of juxtaposition there. Mm -hmm. Um, You didn't mention the tech sector. Is there anything, you know, like the anecdotal is it's the tech sector that's driving everything in the US. Is there any, are they there yet to report? Uh, A few companies have reported and, and, you know, looking at the numbers that are out there, it's around about flat based on earnings expectations. So you've had, you know, some of the bigger corporates come in and actually slightly beat expectations like Microsoft and Tesla and so on. Been some interesting reactions in the markets that perhaps the forward guidance for things like Netflix and, and Microsoft weren't as Maybe it weren't as positive as what the market was hoping because there has been a little bit of volatility in those share prices. But by and large, that sector has done really well. It's it's really been the um, the energy sector and the materials sector which have probably not done as well, at least for the companies who've reported to date, which probably is, is more consistent with what I would expect based on a slowing US economy. So where does that leave us with the US equity market as you said, the, the US equity market's really been on a tear and, and and nothing that we've seen in earnings season to date has really stopped or, or slowed that down. And, you know, just a little factoid that I heard uh, during the week is that we had a slight down night actually last night in the Dow Jones. But prior to that, there was 13 positive days in a row, which I believe is the longest on record. So, Gee. you know, really positive outcomes. And, right. you know, and I think it's buoyed by not only these earnings seasons, but as you said, Matthew, this data in the US which is which is positive we're seeing is slowing but but not a not a hard landing at this stage based on the data and and certainly the Fed itself has now come out and said that you know it thinks it will achieve the soft landing so our central case is still for a mild recession and and you know in a recession you will you know generally see a decrease in earnings but looking at analyst numbers analysts are predicting 13% growth in earnings on average in the next financial year which is you know very high so well, it's a really interesting conundrum and one that we're watching very closely but um we'll keep updating well, our listeners as time goes on um, I keep trying to butt in there I, I just I just wanted to pick <laughs> you up on that thing on that last point you know you're right about our forecast but still being a mild recession in the sense of two consecutive quarters of negative growth but whether you sort of like think of that as you know, that like even the Fed, who now has got a soft landing, meaning that the growth rate is positive. Chairman Powell was at pains to point out that that meant a still a really sharp slowing. I think what you point out is the key, is that when you look at economists' forecasts, who pretty uniformly have a, a pretty sharp slowing in the economy, be it to two quarters of negative growth or not, it's, it is still a sharp slowing. That view of the economy is that at odds with analysts' estimate of earnings outlooks. One of us is right and one of us wrong. Either the economists are right with a slowdown in the economy and therefore the analysts are wrong with a really buoyant earnings outlook, or the analysts are right, the, the equity analysts and the economists are wrong. Or possibly somewhere we'll meet in the middle, but uh, I guess we'll find out. Uh, <laughs> now you're Matthew... sitting on the fence. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, thank you for joining me again today and thanks for our listeners for taking 10.